Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Carl Morrison, a certified paralegal devoted to law and your host of the Paralegal Voice. I am a working certified paralegal and paralegal educator, and I'm devoted to not only the paralegal profession, but to all legal professionals, from legal support professionals to paralegals to those whom we support. Attorneys, I'm devoted to helping others enhance their passion and dedication for the paralegal profession through entertaining and engaging interviews. Before we begin, we would like to thank our sponsor, NALA. NALA is a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education, voluntary certification, and professional development programs. NALA has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since our very first show. And courtfiling.net, e-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. To learn more, visit courtfiling.net to take advantage of a free 30-day trial. And ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screen process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, who embrace technology and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And finally, Legal Inc. Legal Inc. makes it easy for paralegals to digitally automate tasks like business formations, corporate filings, and registered agent services nationwide. Visit LegalInc.com slash podcast today to create your free account. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources you'll find helpful in your career and everyday job. Of course, you guys that have been listening to me for a while know that I'm always going to have guests that are engaging and informational, and there's always going to be a little bit of fun thrown in there. So with that, we're going to get our show started. And today is sci-fi day here on the Paralegal Voice. No, we're not going to talk about the Star Wars franchise and the legal ramifications of when they dissolve the Galactic Senate. No, we're going to have a great show. And today I have an amazing guest with me. Her name is Nicole Clark of Trellis Legal Intelligence. And she and I are going to discuss what I think is really a fascinating subject. I am a nerd for those that you guys that know me. Uh, and it's called, the subject that we're going to be talking about today is called legal intelligence and basically applying artificial intelligence to things like judicial decisions and opposing counsel and helping, you know, use AI to make those strategic case recommendations and decisions for your client. So with that, welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much, Carl. Great to be here. We're so excited to have you. I'm thrilled about this topic. So I will probably geek out and I will try not to geek out too much. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so let's just jump right off into it. So I'd love for you to really first help explain, because some of my listeners are, you know, new into the legal arena and may not have a lot of experience when it comes to artificial intelligence. So I'd like for you to to help my under, my listeners understand what exactly artificial intelligence is. You know, most people think of AI as, you know, Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet or Calvin from iRobot with Will Smith. So yep. in the broadest sense, what is AI when we're talking about that? Absolutely. So AI is, of course, a, a buzzword that we hear with some regularity. And what it stands for is obviously artificial intelligence. But within that, artificial intelligence is actually a 
broad concept that includes a variety of different subsets. And so what I'm specifically going to be speaking about today and, and what we utilize in Trellis is a subset of AI that's called machine learning. And machine learning is really a set of computer algorithms. So think you know, computer programs, really. And what it tries to do is it tries to mimic human learning by training these algorithms to recognize patterns. And the idea behind the algorithm or, or the program is that similar to a human, you can actually train a computer to recognize and then classify specific patterns. And so that's really what machine learning is in the broadest sense. Of course, we could talk about AI in and of itself. And there's all sorts of, of literature and other podcasts that talk about and get into the, the heavy nitty gritty part of, you know, artificial intelligence and what we're talking about. And so I think you kind of helped explain in the simplest terms, you know, AI and, and how does it work? Because basically, and people get a little frightened, I think, and <laughs> correct me if you're, if I'm wrong, but a lot of times they think you mentioned about AI and machine learning. It's basically mm -hmm. just teaching a computer how to think. There's not that emotional component to it. It's really just more about understanding the the factual information, right? Is that the best way to, to kind of break it down? Absolutely. So a really common example for, for explaining machine learning is, is the idea of training a computer to recognize sort of a, a picture of a cat. And the way that you do that is you would show the computer, you know, thousands and thousands of pictures of cats in different sizes, different colors and positions and angles. And with a ton of examples, the algorithm slowly gets better and better at recognizing and correctly classifying pictures of cats. So it's really giving a very specific uh, objective to the computer and then giving it more and more information so that it can train itself and get better at, at classifying. And a little bit in the, in the legal field, the way that we use ML is, for example, to, to recognize very specific patterns, like in docket events, to recognize specific docket events and what those events are. And then the next layer would be, well, okay, is this emotion? And then if it is emotion, what's the type of motion? And so you constantly have to really uh, feed the algorithm more and more information. But as it gets more examples, it is ultimately able to more and more accurately classify specific events or motion types. And you're absolutely right that I think that uh, particularly in legal, there's there's fear sometimes when you mention, you know, AI. Uh, oh, no, AI is going to take our jobs. But the truth of the matter is that what what AI is really good at, what machine learning is really good at is a very specific task and learning to do that task better and better. Unlike the way that, that humans learn, where human, humans learn, you know, in a, in a broad way across various categories, whereas AI is a very specific tool that can help humans. Um, so, so that, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's not something to be afraid of. It's, it's really something as, as people in the legal field to embrace to help us do our jobs better. Right. And of course, conversely, it, when you're teaching a computer on a set of algorithms to, to learn, it's only just like a human, only as good as the teacher. So uh, as long as you're feeding it the right information to 
teach it right, <laughs> it's going to be able to, to do the job, right? I mean, Absolutely. You say, the, yeah. the data uh, that you feed into the algorithm, the, the better that that data is, the, the more structured, the, the better that, the, that you can give the computer and the algorithm more information about all of the different ways it could see a specific event, then it's going to be able to more accurately identify patterns. And really, at that point, become better than a human at it because it's able to sift through millions and millions of different, you know, data points, documents, and identify patterns that a human would never be able to just because there's there's not enough hours in the day to be able to do that. Physically, it's impossible for a human to do what the machine is doing because it's exactly. It, but it's, but you know what AI can't do is is really advocate for your client is is care about your client's needs and make ethical decisions and litigate your case. So at the end of the day, it still requires a human to use the AI as a tool to be a better advocate. You're kind of taking us down that that road I wanted to talk a little bit about is that, you know, we, you mentioned a minute ago that a lot of paralegals, lawyers, you know, legal support professionals, they the minute they hear AI, they immediately react negatively. And I think it's just because of how culture, pop culture especially, has demonstrated that, you know, AI looks like and what, you know, it's going to take over the word world. And, and of course, lawyers have been, and nothing against lawyers. I work for them <laughs> and I love them. <laughs> but historically, although I think it's the trend's changing now, but historically, most attorneys have been slow to embrace technology for fear Absolutely. of technology replacing and, uh, you know, making us op- obsolete. Of course, they take it to the some lawyers that do embrace technology, they take it to the extreme and they think, well, great, AI can do everything, all right. the crap that I don't want to do. Exactly. And all I got to do is program it and set back and collect my fees. And <laughs> I, I think you've hit the nail on the head that there are a lot of things that attorneys can do, and you tell me otherwise, that a machine is never going to be able to do at least within my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I uh, agree entirely. I do not see a world, even as AI continues to advance and, and become better and better, there, there's not a world where you're going to be able to set your robot lawyer and sit back and, and collect fees. I think there's a variety of tasks that lawyers do that you could have better tools and there you can, you can uh, think of those many different areas where AI is actually helping in legal right now, particularly in, in litigation. Litigation is such a, such a nuanced practice. At the end of the day, what you're doing is convincing a human, you're convincing a judge. And at this point, it takes a human to be able to do that, to understand the nuances of strategy. But that human can take in better information, can see patterns, can have information surfaced to help the human better advocate. But there, I don't see a world where you're going to have a, a you know, an AI litigator uh, running your case for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you mentioned, you know, about a lot of different things now in the legal industry where technology has been applied. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how has it been applied? You know, let's start with like the past 10 years, you know, how are lawyers starting to use AI today? And a lot of people probably don't even realize they're using AI. 
I think that's very true. I think that the best the, the best products that incorporate AI are the ones where it's incredibly intuitive and you have no idea that AI is working behind the scenes to help you. So an example that probably many in the legal industry would recognize is, you know, the Westlaw Next. So we came from the original where you had very sophisticated Boolean searches, and then we moved more towards a Google-type natural language searching, which made it much easier and and basically to surface the information that's going to be the most relevant for you. And so that's similar to Trellis in that what we do is, of course, there's AI running behind the scenes, but all that you see as the user is that you were looking up a specific legal issue and it got you the most relevant results at the top to save you time. So that's one way that, that AI is being used in search, but in, in the industry generally, there's a variety of ways. So you can look to AI-powered timekeeping is, is one that people might not recognize. It's sort of running in the background, keeping track of your tasks. There's AI in, in a variety of e-discovery platforms that make it easier to ultimately sift through too much information, right? So much information that a human couldn't do it and be able to surface what's important to the human so that the human can make those strategic decisions. It's funny that you mentioned e-discovery. I'm a big e-discovery Nerd, <laughs> and I've I've been in, I've litigation paralegal for twenty five plus years, and of I have course. seen the advent of e discovery, and the advent of AI, especially within the past five to ten years, of learning, you know, teaching the the machine, giving it a small subset to teach mm -hmm. it. This is what you need to look for, computer A, to go find, you know, in a terabyte of data, the information that otherwise it would take an army of reviewers and right. months to review and millions of dollars, right. millions. Exactly that. And, and that's a, that's a great point that you brought up about the cost mm -hmm. that technology has helped on some of the costs. Whereas before you wouldn't, you would be spending a ton of money to do what the machine is now doing for you. Is that replacing our job? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think it's helping. Exactly. Ultimately, anything that gets a better outcome for the client is going to be better for the industry generally. So even if the specific firm doesn't make as much on that one discrete task, well, now they've got a client that's happier, that is more likely to come back, that's more likely to refer services. So really anything that ultimately benefits the client, and of course, being able to do your work faster, better, and more efficiently is going to be a benefit for the client, is, is ultimately good for the industry as a whole. To me, and I always tell paralegal students, this is kind of how I always teach them, that, you know, the, the attorneys are the doctor or doctors of the law. They're there to treat the patient, i.e. the client. And the paralegals are more of the nurse. And they are there to help triage and treat the patient based on how the, the, the or client based on how the attorney, you know, um, mm -hmm. strategizes. And it's it, it just like in the medical field, there are a lot of, uh, you know, opening up and a lot of new technology out there that's only there to help the patients, not replacing doctors 100%. and nurses. And it's the same in, in our industry. That's actually such a great analogy because, you know, you think about the doctor. The doctor at the end of the day still has to provide the services, but what AI can do is help the doctor by sifting through thousands of prior cases with, you know, similar symptoms and, and similar patterns and being able to surface to the doctor, you know, what in, in that variety of patterns were the, you know, medical issues so that the doctor can more easily provide the best care to the client. 
Yeah, exactly right. So how are you or what are you seeing and how law firms are responding to AI? What are you seeing? So we're, we're actually really seeing firms begin to embrace AI. You know, you, you mentioned, and it's absolutely right, that lawyers are historically tech resistant, you know, if you will. There, there's an idea that you've, you've made it this far with your trusty yellow pad and there's, you know, why change something that's working? But what's happening is that um, litigation analytics, for, for instance, are becoming available. And um, the, this is information that can help to surface patterns on judges and opposing counsel and, and outcomes for certain case types. And the industry as a whole is beginning to recognize that there are really important use cases for, for litigation analytics that can help firms make better decisions. And so what we're seeing is that lawyers are beginning to really embrace data. And that's because, one, <laughs> the data is available now, right? So they, they couldn't, they, some of the data that, that we're using, particularly, you know, state trial court data was never accessible before. So on the one hand, now you have accessibility to data that wasn't there before. And then at the same time, you know, technology ha- now exists that wasn't there before. And so with those two things, what what ends up happening is lawyers are recognizing that their opposing counsel are already starting to use these tools. And the the industry as a whole knows that what, what you really can't have is asymmetrical access to data. And so when your opposing counsel is using specific information to analyze a judge or analyze specific motions, then really you need to be able to see it too. And so firms in general are recognizing that in order to compete in order to, you know, be efficient and be able to um, get better results for their client and, and really compete with other firms out there, they also have to embrace technology if they're going to um, really move their firm forward. You, you called it tech resistant and it <laughs> reminded me I had written an article for Facts and Findings and it was called Attorneys and Technophobia. I called yes. attorneys being technophobic. They were fa- afraid of technology. And so I like tech resistant. That's also a good one too. I'm going to have to <laughs> use that one. <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely true. And there, there definitely is, you know, a, a legacy of, of lawyers being a bit tech resistant. I actually think that, that one of the interesting things with the coronavirus is that it's, it's really sort of forcing lawyers to interact with technology in a way that they haven't really had to in the past and that this is and, and will really change the industry to be more, to, to embrace technology more as they see that it's not something to fear. It's something that can help your practice, that can help you do a better job and advocate better. And so I actually think we're in a very interesting time right now to, to help the, the industry forward altogether. I am so glad that I'm not the only one. I have been singing on the top of, of my <laughs> condo since we, you know, were forced into a working remote situation that people need to realize in the legal industry, you are witnessing a almost a, a very seismic shift, I Absolutely. think, and how the legal industry has had to forcibly embrace a lot of things that they wouldn't necessarily have used before, especially... 
Zoom and right. all sorts of different things. So yeah, we're we're witnessing. We're in the midst of a, a totally sh- a new shift and beginning, and it's it's a very exciting period, I think, in in my personal opinion. So I couldn't couldn't agree more. <laughs> I, I think it's definitely exciting, and I think this is going to have an impact going forward as as lawyers recognize tools that they can use that you know, on an everyday basis can actually help them do a better job. And, and, I, and I think that as we continue to move forward, that the standard of care will actually shift where, you know, you, you would have flown out of state to te- take that deposition in the past. Now, if it's going to be cheaper for your client and you're still able to get the same results, you can depose someone remotely. Or, you know, something like, like what we do at Trellis, which is judge analytics, right? Looking up your judge analytics from the very start of your case will be the standard of care where, you know, that's step one, because you right. know your opposing counsel is doing it. That information is out there and it's a disservice to your client not to be looking at that information. So altogether, I, I see a shift happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to stop this right there. We could go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so let's take a short commercial break. So don't turn that dial. This episode of the Paralegal Voice is brought to you by courtfiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that work sometimes happens after hours, Courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit Courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. Nella offers continuing education, professional development, and voluntary certification for all paralegals. The certified paralegal credential has been awarded to more than 19,000 paralegals. The certified paralegal program is also the first paralegal certification program accredited by the National Commission for Certifying Agencies. NALA works actively with all those in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. Learn more about NALA at www.nala.org. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Carl Morrison, and of course, my guest today is Nicole Clark with Trellis Legal Intelligence. And before the break, we were talking sort of the nuts and bolts about AI and in the broadest sense and its application. So before we jump back into it, I got a few more questions I want to ask you, Nicole, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and Trellis? Absolutely. So my background is as a litigator. And uh, I, I practice a variety of different uh, civil litigation from, you know, business disputes to a, a lot of class action wage and hour work as well. And so I found myself litigating at the state court level constantly. And Trellis was really born out of my own frustration, not being able to access information, not being able to find information about my judge or about how my specific case and causes of action have made their way through state courts in the past. And I just couldn't believe that there wasn't a good way to do sort of practical legal research to understand 
not only at the appellate level, how a specific case is going to play out, but at the trial court level where we're all actually practicing, you know, how does my judge think about this issue? How has my opposing counsel handled this issue in the past? And so we really started collecting data because I was so frustrated in my own career that I wasn't able to easily access this state court data. And so Chalice uh, was, was born out of that frustration, really. So what were some of those major challenges that you faced? Uh, Absolutely. You know, what were you wishing that you had that you weren't finding it when it came to the researching the state court level decisions or better understanding your, your opposing party's strategy? What was it that you, oh my gosh, on my Christmas list, Santa, this is what I want? <laughs> Definitely. So <laughs> it was it was a long Christmas list, and we're, <laughs> we're still working on building it. It's a never-ending list. But it it was. I, I mean, I'm sure for all all of those at, at firms, you've seen the the emails that lawyers sent around. You know, does anyone? They just got assigned to a case in front of a specific judge. Does anyone have any intel on judge? You know, so and so, and. I was often the associate that was tasked with collecting the anecdotes that we'd get from other attorneys in the firm in response to that question. And then what I would do is collect all of these anecdotes and make a strategic recommendation to the client about the way to move forward, how to litigate the case generally, and you know whether potentially you should decide to request reassignment to a different judge, which of course you only have a couple of days to make that decision, and that can have a massive impact on your case. And so my own wish list was, you know, we're, we're appearing before these judges at the, at the state trial court level. There is data that's being released on how these judges rule, and no one was, was aggregating or collecting that data. And really, my, my initial wish list was, I want to be able to search and see the way my judge has ruled on specific issues before. You know, before I make a decision to request to reassignment to a different judge, I want to have hard data that tells me how this judge has ruled on specific motions and specific issues in the past so that when I'm making a recommendation to the client, I know that uh, there's some hard data and not just anecdotes behind it. And so my, my initial wish list was really, how do I get more accurate, more practical information so that I can make strategic decisions that I know are, are backed by, you know, more than one person's experience in, in front of the judge. So that's, that's really one of the things that we began to do is, you know, look at the way that a judge rules across all of their cases on specific motions. And then from the start of your case, be able to pull your judge report and see hard data on how the judge rules. And from there, then you can go to your client and really make strategic recommendations. And so that was that was sort of step one on the wish list. But you can really continue to apply that um, across other areas. So great, now you have hard data on your judge. What's next? We'll look up your opposing counsel, see you know what their trial court cases are. How many other cases do they have right now? Do they handle this type of litigation very often? Do they take these cases to trial? So all of that insight and information that can help the, the attorney make decisions all along the, the path of the litigation that is going to set the case up to, to be able to have a, a better outcome for the client. That's that's some of <laughs> some of, it was some of my wish list that we're solving at the moment. Well, and it's interesting that you're talking about you know 
having to send out that that email early on of trying to find the, the anecdotal information. I live in Las Vegas and in Clark, Clark County, and mm-hmm. we've got 20 some odd different, you know, judges that, you know, you randomly get assigned to a matter. And I'm on the defense side, of course, and, you know, we get a new suit in and we see that it's been assigned to Judge X and we've never mm-hmm. been before that particular judge. And so we send out the the email and we call other, you know, attorneys. Have you mm-hmm. worked or been before this judge? What are they like? Should we, you know, get rid of them? Should we, you know, try to get, a, a, see if we can get a better judge? And, and right. then you get a, a new judge and, and now you and the people that you know you ask, and none of them know that particular judge because it's a new judge on the bench. Right. Or, you know, it's judge that's only been for a couple of years, and so they've never been before him yet. And so it's it, like, yeah, it, you, you're sitting there going, well, crap. <laughs> what, now, how, do, how do I strategize? And that's and that was going to be my next question is why is it important to know how a judge or opposing counsel, you know, handled a similar matter in the past? Why is it important to know that? Absolutely. So just to hit back for, for one second on something that you mentioned that, that made me think about it is there's also, I think, an incorrect assumption among those in the legal industry that you appeared before a judge uh, once and they, and they you know, ruled a certain way and that that one anecdote will be able to then lead you to make the, the right decision the next time or to be able to give information to a colleague that will help them. But, you know, one data point taken out of context can actually be you know, more, more concerning. It, it can actually be a problem if you rely on that. Whereas when you're able to see a broad data set, how this judge has ruled across thousands of cases, then you can make a better determination that, well, there weren't specific facts in that one case that may have led the judge to, to decide that way. But uh, you can know more, more broadly speaking how the judge is likely to rule across a, a spectrum of cases. And the reason that that's important is really because we all have tendencies. Judges have specific tendencies, and they tend to, you know, just like humans in general, we all tend to have patterns and and tendencies that we follow. And so being able to see that from the start of your case really allows an attorney to be proactive. It allows them to, you know, look up a ruling by their judge on a specific issue, and then write their motion to that judge using the case law that that judge thinks is persuasive, using being able to organize their analysis in the way that that judge um, thinks about the legal issue and really understand that. And so you can be incredibly tailored and specific when you have information you know, from the very start of your case. So you're able to take that information in when you're drafting motions and and make them tailored and targeted. Or when you're deciding which motions to bring, you know, is this a good MSJ case? You know, you can't make that decision in a vacuum or with one piece of data. You really need to see across the board. And so, of course, that, that same assumption that, you know, judges tend to follow follow patterns and tendencies, well, just like other humans, opposing counsel does the same. And so they likely have tendencies in the way that they litigate specific cases. And again, when you have that information from the start of your case, that allows you to make better decisions. And, and really, the, the whole goal of Cholos is to surface information, to make the law accessible so that everyone can really make the right decision. And in order to make the right decision, it requires that you have the right, the right data surfaced to you so that you can. 
Well, and that's, you know, interesting because talking about opposing counsel and understanding, and it's the same with the judges as well. You know, you, you look at and think, okay, well, I have this anecdotal story about this judge or, or this opposing counsel, or I know this judge is, quote unquote, pro plaintiff uh-huh. from the defense side. And you're going, okay, but that's all I know. Yeah, hearing what you're saying and and, and understanding that applying the, the AI to a series of data, because I, I love data. I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to data and being right. able to, especially as a senior paralegal and working for, you know, whether it be your, your managing partner or general counsel, whatever the case may be, I would love to be able to pull that data and say, hey, attorney X, look at the, the you know, this is how they've been ruling on these particular type of motions. I know we're planning on filing this particular motion. Look how it is versus just having a, a willy-nilly, oh, they're pro-plaintiff. The judge is pro-plaintiff. So, you know, they're just going to always rule no matter what we say for the plaintiff. But yeah, right. seeing, hearing what you're saying that if you can see strategically an analysis that's been done, mm-hmm. yeah, oh my, to me, that's just like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, that's the response that we get from our, our customers generally is this, this idea that, you know, we, I think as, as legal support and as lawyers, we've been trained to think, okay, we look at court of appeals data as our source of truth for all information. And being able to actually look at, at information from the trial court level, to search information, to see trends and analysis at the trial court level, is almost like having a crystal ball where you can look in and see, okay, how have similar cases played out? And by having that information, that's how you can make those strategic decisions. So so I, I love that you're a, a data nerd, a self-professed <laughs> data nerd. Um, you know, many, many of our clients are, are super excited to be able to see this data that's just historically been inaccessible. So I have to ask you, uh, and this is the, the geekiness, but you talked a little bit about in broadest terms how AI it works. Taking that knowledge you know, this is kind of like how the sausage is made. So I'm going to ask this question. How do you apply that that AI or that machine learning to researching and understanding? Let's, and let's use the judge uh-huh. scenario first. Understanding that judge's, you know, predisposition to rule a certain way or on a certain kind of motion or, you know, how does that work? How do you apply that? You know, kind of walk us through just shortly how that works. Sure. So one of the things to understand at the at the state trial court level for anyone who has a firm that practices that area, you'll know what I mean when I say that the data is it, it's not integrated, it's not uniform. You there's nowhere, you know, besides Trellis now where you can search one database and be able to get to records across courts. So, you know, a, each county really has its own separate court and hosts and maintain their data separately so that if you wanted to look up, let's say, you know, a, something's on a specific case, you'd have to go to that county court's website and then you would have to put in the docket number, the case number. And then from there, you could pull up, you know, the docket, maybe some, some case files, if the, depending on the court. But without that docket number, without knowing that case name, you would never be able to even find out where the information lives. And so what we do is to start with is aggregate all of that state trial court data under under like one house, let's call it. So we pull in information from all of the various county courts 
and then make it searchable. You can think of it as a Google for state trial court data, where you can then put in your judge's name and pull up your judge's report from the start of your case. So many of our of our paralegals and support staff will actually give the attorneys the entire package, the summons, the complaint, and the judge report all together so that the lawyer can understand the fact pattern of the case and then immediately understand the way that this judge rules. And the way that we do that is we look at the, uh, let's say, specific you know, docket events where this judge has ruled on a motion to dismiss. And then we look at that judge's ruling on that specific motion across all of their cases. And then we tell you how often that judge grants, partially grants or denies that specific motion. And then we give you the context of other judges in the county and other judges in the state so that you can understand exactly where your judge is an outlier because, you know, sometimes making an assumption that, well, this judge, let's say, never grants a motion for summary judgment or grants it, you know, 10% of the time. But then if you looked up and it looks like, well, judges across the the state only grant it 12% of the time, well, then that's not something that you actually want to ding your judge that you want to request a different judge on because you're likely to end up exactly in the same place again. So it's having that kind of information of not just being able to see, you know, a specific example example of a judge ruling on one motion, but seeing how they rule on that motion across all of their cases and then where they fall in relationship to other judges in in the county and the state. And then if you back up for a second and say, okay, well, that's the high level of how I do judge research. The granular level would be, you know, I, I type in my judge's name and what I do is I start pulling my judge's rulings on specific motions. And then from there, I can search my judge's rulings on specific case types and then a layer deeper on specific motions and then a layer deeper on very specific legal issues so that you can see exactly how your judge thinks about specific legal issues. And really, I I argue that if you have case dispositive issues, you need to be understanding that from the start of your case and really planning your legal strategy around that because it's information that's out there and it's really, really, you know, our duty to best represent, to best advocate for clients to have the information on how the judge rules both, you know, from a high level on, on specific motions and specific cases overall, and then from a granular level on my legal issue, on my cause of action, how has my judge ruled in the past? And from there, you're able to really come up with a plan and strategy. Just gives me chills. I get all geeky about it. I just I, I, to me, it's it's phenomenal. And so, besides doing, you know, having and applying the machine knowledge and learning to doing something like this, where do you see other areas of our industry? You know, where do you foresee AI assisting litigators and non-litigators alike? You know, Absolutely. being able to prefer, you know provide those better services. So I actually think legal is one of the best use cases for AI because here you have an industry with just massive amounts of data and the and, and it's data that's difficult and complex to go through that um, would be very, very difficult for a human to, if not impossible, uh, for <laughs> a human to be able to go through and classify and identify patterns. And so anywhere where you have an industry that's extremely data heavy, AI is going to be able to help surface information. And 
So I see that continuing. I think we've already seen a revolution in the way that, you know, discovery and, and e-discovery is, is being done. And that's just going to continue to get better and better and get better tools so that, you know, the, the highest expense and, and the worst part of the case won't have to be the discovery portion anymore. And right. then similar to, you know, the, the next worst, <laughs> worst part of, of legal is, of course, you know, tracking your time. And AI can be incredibly helpful there and in running in the background, you know, as you're working in specific documents, it can be sort of watching and can note to you at the end of the day, you know, this is, this is where we saw all of your activity. And really litigation analytics, though, I, I think will be something that will have just a massive impact on the way that lawyers litigate, because that's something now that, it, you know, instead of making academic recommendations to your client about the way you think that the case should be handled based on, you know, court of appeals rulings and, and judges, now you can make those recommendations based on the data from the court system that you're actually litigating in. And that will help lawyers overall to be more efficient and to make better decisions, which are going to have a better impact for the client. So, it, you know, I, I see AI as being helpful really in the broadest sense, almost across a, a variety of con- contract automation. There's another one where AI can be incredibly helpful oh, yeah. in recognizing patterns and, and, you know, specific clauses that are often used in this type of, of contract that were left out in this one. So anywhere where there is a, a need to recognize patterns and tendencies, AI is going to be uh, really, really useful for and, and that's what is really exciting about our industry is, is being able to be on the forefront of being able to incorporate and utilize technology, not just for our own benefits, but ultimately for the client. And that's that's the big thing is is the patient, as like I called it earlier. Our client is our patient, and that's who we have to take care of. So Exactly. Um, well, it looks like we're running out of time, and you and I could definitely keep going on and on and on and on. <laughs> Probably have a three-hour conversation about this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I have a fun – I always have to have a fun and final question for my guests, and you're not any different, so um, you don't get away from it. <laughs> so I have to ask you, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and most – you know, locations, they're starting to ease up on the restrictions. What's the one fun thing that you've missed since you've been having to stay at home and since those stay at home orders were implemented? And what are you going to do once you're no longer under the lockdown? Well, the hard thing is picking one thing, I think. (laughs) Uh, There's so many things. And we're actually out of Los Angeles, which has had a very, very aggressive shutdown. Specifically for me, I have a six-year-old. And for for all of those parents of of younger children out there, you know how difficult this has been, really. And so I think there's, there's two things. One, just go to the park. It's it's really the basics that you don't recognize, you know, how big of an impact it had on your life and and how much it was helpful to to you and your child. And then the other thing, which actually we just got announced we're opening back up yesterday, are the beaches. So it's really just being out in nature. And if anything, I think that as we we return and reemerge out of this, I think there's a greater level of just just we're we, we recognize what we enjoyed so much. You know, we can appreciate it more than we ever have before. So I'm, I'm getting out there into nature is my, my first order of business. Well, I have to agree with you. Uh, I'm missing outside. I'm missing 
the beach. I'm missing all of that. But my number one, and we our state just two days ago opened back up partially, but uh, in the way of hair salons. So <laughs> I can go get my hair cut after eight weeks of not a haircut. I, I agree with you. You don't realize that salons are essential services until you are in lockdown. <laughs> right. Exactly right. I agree so. more. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nicole, for being a guest on today's show. Thank, I think it was phenomenal. So if any of my listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Absolutely. So you can find us, you could, you could, we're at trellis.law and you can reach out for any information at info at trellis.law. And you can find me also on Twitter at Nicole underscore A underscore Clark. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Nicole. And that is all the time we have for today's podcast. So be sure and tune in to next month's episode and stay tuned for some something new in the way uh, I'm doing on, on this the ending segment of my show. So you definitely don't want to turn off. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screen process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Legal Inc. Legal Inc. is empowering paralegals to embrace their inner legal rock star by automating the everyday tasks that hold them back. Through their free dashboard solution, Paralegals can quickly and easily automate services like business formations, corporate filings, registered agent services, and more. Visit LegalInc.com to create a free account and check out LegalInc.com forward slash podcast for a chance to win Legal Rockstar swag. Welcome back. So before the break, I said I was wanted to do something different. So I did. I wanted to try something on the show this time around. And I'll tell you a little bit about how it kind of came about. Recently, I was and am collaborating with an amazing paralegal. She's amazing. And we're doing a couple of projects. And I can't tell you what those are. It's top secret. So don't even ask me. But Stay tuned, there'll be more coming out about those. But we were just started talking and, and we were sharing all sorts of, you know, anecdotal stories, or what I like to call war stories. And it hit me just how many real life practical stories I have over the 25 years, 25 plus years of experience. And maybe you would like to hear some of those and how you can apply what I've learned from my own personal stories, war stories in your own professional life. So, but don't worry if you're looking for the, the, your favorite segment, the listener's voice, I'm not getting rid of the listener's voice. Trust me. I just want to do something a little different this time around. So let me know if you like this segment after we do it, but I'm calling it practical paralegal war stories. So send me an email, of course, devoted to law at gmail.com. And if you have any questions, of course, you know, for the listener's voice, send those to me. We're going to make, you know, those 
Well, that'll happen in the next show that I do. And, you know, always send me an email. Make your voice, the listener's voice, known and heard. And again, the email is devotedtolaw at gmail.com. That's D-E-V-O-T-E-D, the number two, L-A-W, at gmail.com. So today on Practical Paralegal War Stories, I feel like I should have like an intro music to go along with this. But I wanted to share with you a situation and stressing the importance of being a team player. Many years ago, I worked with a well-known, highly respected trial lawyer. She practiced across the country, federal level as well as state level. And she is one of the most amazing trial lawyers I've ever worked with and worked for. And she relied heavily on me day in and day out, in and out of the courtroom. And one particular scenario that happened that she relied on me was we were doing a uh, major products case and our expert was flying in out of town and there had been some bad weather that had delayed him missing his flight, having to missing his connecting flight. And he got in late the night before a evidentiary hearing that he was going to have to testify at for us. And he got there, he got in town enough time to go to Dillard's to buy a new suit and a change of underwear as his luggage didn't make it with him. And so that next morning, the morning of the the hearing, I come to work, 7.30, and I'm greeted by this particular attorney that I worked for. And she said, Carl, I need you to go to the airport to pick up Expert X's suitcase. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, okay. You need me to do that? Absolutely. And she said, unfortunately, we don't have, he doesn't have his claim ticket. So you just need to figure out how you're going to get the suitcase because he has to have that suitcase. And we're going on to the hearing. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I will do it. And so I get in my car and I head to the airport. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get this man's suitcase? I don't have a claim ticket. I can't pretend I'm him. How am I going to do this? So I show up at the airport, go to, to where the, the luggage is at um, for this particular airline and tell them I'm there to pick up suitcase, name of John Doe. And the claim attendant said, okay, hang on for a second. And he goes back to pull the suitcase. And he was taking a very long time to come out. And I'm starting to panic because I'm thinking, he didn't ask me for a claim ticket. However, I sort of pretended I was him by just saying I'm here to pick up suitcase John Doe. And I'm worried now at this point thinking, oh, God, airport security is probably – he's probably called them. I'm probably going to get arrested. What am I going to do? You know, thinking all the worst. And he comes out, and he's got this suitcase, and he says, is this the suitcase? And I'm like, um, yep, that's it. Although I don't know what the man's suitcase – all the, the expert told me was that it was a Toomey suitcase. And I'm like, okay, that's Toomey. That's got to be it. Yep, that's it walking out of the airport with this man's suitcase. And as soon as I got out of the claim attendant's view, I looked and yeah, sure enough, it was. And had the suitcase, brought it back to the office. They came back from the hearing and she came to me and she said, Carl, thank you so much for going and do that. That you're amazing. And I said, absolutely. Anytime. That's what I'm here for. Now you're thinking, what? You went and got 
a guy's suitcase? Absolutely. And you know why? It's because I'm a team player. No matter what, within reason, of course, but getting an expert suitcase from the airport is not in my job description. That was never in any job description I've ever had. But it is part of being a team player. And Mary trusted me out of everybody that worked at that particular firm. And she came to me specifically knowing that I'm a team player and I'm going to go do it without question. And I did it without question and got it back and got it to her and to him. It's important to understand that there are going to be times, y'all, that when you're working at a firm and your supervising attorney is going to ask you to do something that's not necessarily within your job description. Like I said a minute ago, of course, within reason, you know, ask me to go kill somebody. I can't do that. But going and picking up a suitcase at the airport for our expert, absolutely. Is it billable? No, I couldn't bill for it. But you know what? Things like that demonstrate, speak volumes to not only your supervising attorney, but to, to those that you work with and around that, oh, hey, Carl's a team player. I, you know, I can rely on him because he's not going to throw a fit. He's not going to question it. He's going to just do it and do it with, you know, a humble heart and a servant's heart and just do it without question. And that's what is important to understand is that, like I said, there's going to be times that you're going to be asked to do things that may not necessarily be in your job description. But when you demonstrate that you're a team player and you're going to do it without question, without any guff, it just is going to speak volumes in other ways that will help you grow as a professional. So that's our practical paralegal war story for today's episode. And of course, that's it. That's all the time we have today for the paralegal voice. So if you have questions about today's show, of course, email them to me at devotedtolaw@gmail.com. And of course, stay tuned for more information and upcoming podcasts for exciting paralegal trends, news, and engaging and fun interviews from leading paralegals and other leading legal professionals. Thank you for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. And reminding you that I am here to enhance your passion and dedication to the paralegal profession and make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.